Hello listeners, my name is Lucy and welcome to another episode of the LSE Focal Point podcast. Today we are delighted to be joined by Eunice Ju. Eunice is the Executive Director and Head of Counterparty Risk Trading at SMBC Nikko Capital Markets, a branch of the Japanese megabank SMBC, which specializes in global securities and derivative products. Prior to joining SMBC, Eunice has held similar positions at RBC Capital Markets and Unicredit Bank and majored in econometrics and mathematical economics at the Shanghai University of Finance and Economics. She is also an LSE alumna, graduating with a distinction in her Master of Science in Finance and Economics in 2009. Eunice, how are you doing today? Hi, Lucy. I'm very well. Thank you. It's a pleasure to join you in this interview and share insights from my career journey in finance. Thank you for having me. It's lovely to meet you too, and I'm looking forward to our discussion. Now, to start, could you walk us through your journey to your current role as Executive Director and Head of Counterparty Risk Trading? Could you perhaps also explain the work you do in more detail for listeners that may be less familiar with these terms? Sure. So looking back through my journey, I think becoming an executive director and the head of XEA Trading SNBC Nico Capital Markets involved a, a blend of rigorous uh, academic pursuits and diverse professional experience. I started from 2000, early 2010, right after the graduation with master in finance and economics distinction from LSE. I started in Unicredit Bank, where I was instrumental in setting up the credit marking policy and framework for the bank's XVA valuation. Moving on, five years later, I joined Royal Bank of Canada, where I was predominantly on the trading side, actively risk managing the derivative counterparty risk on daily basis uh, and the intraday basis. Uh, from 2018, I was approached with much bigger mandate or responsibility to head up the XVA trading desk in SNBC which at that time I think was a very exciting opportunity. And given the competition of the other talents in the, in the industry, I was very privileged to, to take this role. So five years on, the desk is up and running from the initial setup, our risk management and the trading setups frameworks is all matured, well-run, and I'm very proud of what we've achieved so far. And it, just a quick explanation of XVA or derivative uh, valuation adjustment to, to people who are not familiar with the term. The um, XVA is um, collective terms used in the financial industry to refer to a set of uh, risk management and pricing adjustments that banks and financial institutions make when valuing and trading derivatives. These adjustments are primarily driven by regulatory changes and guidance aimed at improving risk management and transparency in the derivative markets. Therefore, XVA Trading is a centralized internal trading desk of a bank to price and risk managing the banks and financial institutions' counterparty credit risk, banks' funding cost, capital, and margin cost. Uh, a mature, the well-run XVA desk is to ensure the bank's derivative valuation risk is well-managed and to avoid the systematic risk like global financial crisis from happening again. Thank you so much for explaining those terms for us. I'm going to change the topic here slightly to talk a bit more about your motivations. 
Could you share if there are any industry leaders that particularly inspire you? And has this changed or evolved over the years? And if so, in what way? It's a very interesting question. I think um, unlike some other practitioners in the industry, I've been looking up to a lot of role models rather than one specific person. And for me, um, since the beginning of my journey, I've always looked up to the, the bank CEOs who can basically whether go through the storm of financial situations, difficulties. For example, Jamie Demon, who's one of the most renowned names in the banking world. He has been the CEO and the chairman of JP Morgan Chase since 2005. And he has also been featured in Times Magazine's list of most influential people multiple times. I through, through medias, I, I can see that it's under Demon's leadership that JP Morgan has become the largest bank in the world by revenue and also the biggest one in the US by assets. And he has led multiple billion dollar acquisitions. For me, his leadership is really impressive and the tenure, as long as he is, is, is actually unheard of in the financial world. So I've always looked up to him. And then gradually, since I get more involved with women empowerment work and gender equality work in the financial industry, uh, I think there's a slight shift to more female leaders in the world that um, I, I set as a role models. I, I think a few that I would like to mention here is, for example, Jen Fraser, who is the CEO of Citigroup. Yep. And recently she's uh, doing, she's going through a, a very revolutionary changes in cities management, which I think will improve the efficiency and also the reporting lines in city. I think that's, um, it sounds to me, a massive project to, to, to achieve and I wish her good luck. And the other lady I'd like to mention is Helena Morisis. I'm not sure if you heard of her. She has a very inspiring career. She used to be the CEO of Newton Investment Management, a subsidiary of the Bank of New York Mellon. Under her leadership, the company achieved significant, significant growth and success. She's also the founder of the 30% Club. One of her most notable achievements is her role in funding the 30% Club, which is a campaign aimed at increasing gender diversity on corporate boards. For me, her advocacy had helped raise awareness about the importance of women's representation in the leadership positions. And she constantly advocates for, uh, for diversity and inclusion. So for me, uh, successful female leaders like them uh, are constantly give me the inspirations and the motivations to push myself further in terms of the professional development and also my, my passion in uh, women empowerment. Thank you for highlighting those. I'm sure that there's definitely a lot we can all learn from bank CEOs, such as Jamie Dimon, Jane Fraser and Helena Morrissey. Now, moving back to a more career-oriented question, considering that you primarily work in EMEA, what are some unique characteristics about the financial landscape in this region specifically? Again, it's a very interesting question. I think we can compare EMEA region to obviously United States in North America and also the APEC regions. First one is the regulatory environment. So in terms of regulation, EMEA region has a complex regulatory landscape with a multitude of regulatory bodies and frameworks, including the ECB, European Central Banks, European Banking Authorities, and the national regulators. 
the European Union's single market initiatives has led to the harmonization in some areas, but there are still significant variations in the others. Compared with EMEA, I think US is much more uh, well established in terms of the regulatory framework. They the the frameworks over there are led by agencies like the Securities and Exchange Commissions and the Federal Reserve. It's known for its rigorous oversight and enforcement, and APAC comparatively is more diverse in terms of regulations. Um, and then Singapore and Hong Kong is much, much better known for their strong regulatory regimes, but the other regions need more further development. So, so compared with the other two regions, I think EMEA is more diverse, but also more fragmented, which where I guess the both opportunities and challenges uh, coexist at the moment. And in terms of um, banking sector, um, as I mentioned, the European banks tend to be more fragmented with a larger number of smaller and regional banks compared, with, compared to the U.S. European banks often face challenges related to non-performing loans and low interest rates. The last interesting feature about EMEA banking region is the, the Middle East. So in EMEA, there's a, a much bigger presence of Islamic finance because of the, the close um, proximity to the Middle East. And EMEA is a major hub for Islamic finance. Comparatively, US and APAC, it's, uh, it's much smaller. It's not as widespread as in the EMEA. Going back to the, the regulatory um, landscape, one specific thing that I want to note is particularly for people interested in my specific role, derivatives XVA. The impact to us is, is quite a bit because of the different implementation of capital requirements from the regulatory bodies in the EMEA. The treatment of capital requirements is slightly different in terms of the model uh, from the US ones. Excellent insights. Thank you for explaining this. Now, turning our attention to more recent events, the past decade has been fraught with economic uncertainty, such as Brexit, a global pandemic, and even the prospect of US-China decoupling. What is your approach to risk management in such uncertain market conditions? And what would be the biggest surprise? I think Different, different macroeconomic condition has definitely made my job more, more interesting, more exciting. A tip or let's say a lesson for, for LSC students or graduate who are interested in banking. I think the job itself, for example, trading portfolio management is definitely a very involving role where the responsibility, the job itself has been evolving based on the market condition. And it's always exciting. It's unfortunately, for example, the war situation between Russia and the Ukraine. But for us, as a day daily day on day uh, risk management, this does keep our job exciting because we have different opportunities and different challenges we can we can try to tackle, and and the sense of achievement from that is is massive. And then back to the question itself, I think um it's um the tips or let's say the the the, the personal principles that I've been practicing are a few. Firstly, continuous monitoring. So we want to be we want to be constantly stay informed. We constantly monitoring the global economics and political development, such as trade tension, geopolitical events, and the regulatory changes. This will allow us to anticipate potential risk and adjust our 
hedging or trading strategies accordingly. The other one is obviously building and continues to to, to build complex analysis tools, dual complex analysis such as stress testing, correlation analysis. Scenario analysis in, in terms of stress testing, not only make sure the bank are compliant with the regulatory requirement, but also prepare us very well when the difficult market stress happens unexpectedly. With the stress analysis, we are, we are better, we're well positioned if the market stress happens and our trading strategies, our risk management practice will adjust uh, efficiently in a very timely fashion. This also involves active management. Of course, when we look at our derivative portfolio risk, we're constantly adopting a, an active management strategy. We actively adjust our risk positions based on the changing market condition rather than just managing the book uh, more passively. The, and then last, more specific, let's say hedging strategies. Um, it's obviously for, for XVA book, derivative experience, for example, we can do a lot of delta hedge to, to remove the risk as much as possible. But in the stress scenarios, we tend to adopt more option hedging where we can protect, uh, we can manage the risk and also protect our PL during the market downturns. So, just to emphasize the, the previous question on the integration of technology, I think we can't do risk management well in market stress, in the evolving market condition without the technology. So technology is really important. And in my case, I work with XVA quality development team, the technology team on a daily basis. And the close uh, interaction is, is definitely crucial to make sure my work is, is on top of the market downturns. That was really informative, and I think that the need to continuously stay informed about macroeconomic events in particular is definitely something we can all apply, especially at this time. If I can now shift the focus a bit, let's discuss some of the work that you do outside of your career. So, as an advocate for female empowerment and gender equality, you founded and currently lead the Lean In Women in Banking Finance Circle and are on the executive committee of the UK Chinese Women Connect organisation. What inspired you to be actively involved in gender diversity initiatives? And what goals do you have for this in the future? I think my passion for advocating gender equality in finance has led me to found and lead initiatives like the Leaning Women Banking and Finance. We have a strong 640 plus active members we're constantly trying to uh, organize events and share initiatives where we can push for more women empowerment in the industry and try to achieve the gender equality slash equity as much as possible. I My goal here is really to aim to create a more inclusive environment, encourage female leadership and also more, more mentoring upcoming talents. How did I start? I think it's really because of my personal experience being a woman of color in, in the financial industry and also as a foreigner in working in London, the top financial center. It has been in various ways, the way to adapt to the British culture, the way to how to speak up to make sure I'm well heard and appreciated by the other colleagues and management. The, the experience of uh, more than a decade has made me a, a, a 
very well the, the disadvantage or slightly bias towards women working in the industry, particularly in trading as women historically, even now after multiple diversity initiatives, we are still the minority on the trading floor. So, and also having the gender pay gap, all those issues has has driven me to to set up women, women empowerment initiatives like this. I think at the beginning, I didn't have a grand plan to make it a well-run, massive organization. It was really just a small initiative where I'd like to group women in a similar situation as much as possible. So as a group, we can share experience. We can talk about lessons learned and then tips for each other to progress further, to try to break the glass ceilings in the financial industry and the organically the organization has grown uh, exponentially much bigger than I was envisioned. So I'm I'm very inspired by, by the other women that I come across through the initiative, through the organizations and I, I'd like to continue this initiative and welcoming more women of the same same issues or with same inspirations, aspirations to join us together. That's really inspiring, and I hope that the initiative continues to grow. Moving back to the challenge you mentioned of navigating the financial services industry as a woman of colour, what advice would you give to students in a similar position that are looking to break into banking? Sure. I think there are a lot of things I can share based on my past experience. I think the first one is really embrace um, our unique perspective. As I said, um, we are women of color. We're different from the mainstream society. So from there, I think the background experience for us, it, it can be a, a significant asset. We shouldn't think of us as different, but rather than we will bring a unique viewpoint that can help fostering help fostering innovations and inclusivity in, in the industry. And then the second one, obviously, is building um, a strong network. For example, across, for example, net, networking, networking is a key in the financial service industry. So you should always seek out mentor, mentors and sponsors who can provide guidance, support and opportunities. Um, don't be shy away from connecting with others. I think this is one bug of of women of color or even men of color in general. So I think well, I would really encourage you, don't uh, don't be shy and you should always try to connect with others who have different backgrounds and diversity in your network can be incredibly enriching. And the other one obviously is to develop a solid skill set. I think for me, uh, partially my success is definitely due to my strong technical background and all the technical skills that I've been picking up during the years. Without, I think without technical skills, it's harder to have a voice. So as an emerging talent of a women of color who, who want to break into the banking industry, the first priority is definitely build the technical skills. I, I encourage you to do so and um, stay informed about the latest trends and technology in the banking. Soft skills are equally important. I, I think that comes with experience. If you are, this is really from my personal experience. If you are frustrated by, by your soft skills like communication or leadership, don't rush because uh, it will come with experience and then try to grab opportunities as much as possible that you will be more confident with your skill building. And the last one, it's, it's my life principle, which I think I've been practicing very well. It's 
be resilient and ad- adaptable. So the industry can be very challenging and you might face loads of obstacles like what I have. So I think resilience is key. And be resilient person is not easy, but I think you can practice that. And you should always have adapting mindset where you are prepared to adapt to changes and keep learning. Thank you for your inspiring advice and for taking the time to speak with us. It's been a pleasure having you here today. And I'm sure our listeners appreciate your insights and can take a lot away from this episode. Finally, thank you to our audience for listening and stay tuned.